Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Sunday, April 18th, HLN will be airing the season finale of How It Really Happened with Hill Harper, the Jenny Jones Show Fatal Attraction, which will investigate the murder of Scott Amador. In 1995, before Ellen's puppy episode, before Will and Grace aired, and before Ross's ex-wife on Friends got married on the one with the lesbian wedding, Scott Amador recorded an episode of The Jenny Jones Show. The Jenny Jones Show was an American TV talk show. Scott was a proud and out gay man. During that taping, he admitted to his straight male friend that he had a crush on him. He even described his sexual fantasies that he had about his friend. Several days later, Scott Amador would be dead, shot by that same friend. This investigation into Scott's death and the subsequent trials of his killer and the producers of The Jenny Jones Show are the focus of this documentary. But it's also a bit of a 90s American daytime TV time capsule, if you will. It'll feature clips from shows like Ricky Lake, Geraldo, Donahue, and more. Changes to the Oprah Winfrey show that happened around the time of Scott's death will also be highlighted. So take a listen, Rainbow Warriors. There were 16. You get ratings, you had to stand out from the crowd and do something bigger and better than everybody else. The Jenny Jones show truly left America shocked to its core. Jonathan Schmitz was hoping to find the girl of his dreams. He was hoping to find her on the Jenny Jones show. We had done secret crush shows multiple times. Nobody told him his admirer was a man. Scott was going to be a great guest. Really wanted to relay this crush. Talking about exploiting people. They know the deal. The spectacle of real life unfolding in front of the camera. I didn't really understand what was happening. The forces were building and building significant psychological issues. He was descending into madness. This was a cold-blooded killing. You have a celebrity, you have a TV show, you have a murder. He gave us permission to have a crush revealed to him. It cost him his life. The show didn't pull the trigger. Just how far is too far? Now remember, it will air April 18th, that's a Sunday, on the How It Really Happened with Hill Harper show on HLN. The Oracle Network. Hi, friends. Hi. Welcome to They're Terrified and Tipsy. I'll start. Okay. 
My name is Courtney. Uh, I love long walks on the beach, mm -hmm. white wine, and I absolutely love scary movies. And I'm Stephanie. I also love long walks on the beach. I love white wine, but I absolutely f***ing hate <laughs> scary movies. So Stephanie, mm -hmm. can I ask you a question? Please. Why in the hell would you want to watch scary movies and do a podcast on scary movies when you hate them? Oh, that's easy. Um, because you forced me. Mm, that's that's true. <laughs> but you know what? Hmm. There's wine. Yeah. So I'm basically only here for the wine. <laughs> lots and lots of wine. <laughs> We're going to need it. <laughs> well, since we have very different feelings about scary movies, we decided to share our emotional struggles with you all. Yeah. So grab a glass of wine, your mm -hmm. favorite couch blanket, and get comfy and enjoy the ride with us. Also, you can find their Terrified and Tipsy on Instagram and Twitter, plus all the podcast platforms. For links, head over to tipsypod.com. Come. Cheers! Hey, 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 Rainbow Warriors. This is my disclaimer. Beyond the Rainbow is a true crime podcast. It's not suitable for young children, and maybe not even for some adults. I tend to swear like a sailor. And I'm kind of proud of that. Listener discretion is advised. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors. Welcome to Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBT. I'm your host, CJ. You can find me on the socials. I'm on Facebook at Beyond the Rainbow Pod. I'm on Instagram at Beyond the Rainbow Pod or Rainbow Crimes 12. Or I'm on Twitter at Rainbow Crimes. I now have a TikTok account and a Tumblr. Both are under Rainbow Crimes. And you can always email me from my website at beyondtherainbowpodcast.com. Also on my site, you'll find a list of the top listener locations. If you'd like to help support the show, there's a link to my merch store on TeePublic and a link to buymeacoffee.com slash rainbowcrimes. A huge shout out to Frank, who bought me two coffees the other day. I'm trying really hard to save up for some better pod equipment. Another thing you can find on my website is my growing list of missing but not forgotten LGBTQ people. This episode's missing but not forgotten LGBTQ person is Luther O. Boyt. This case is a bit cold, 21 years cold. Luther was 59 years old when he disappeared leaving a bar around 2.30 a.m. on November 26, 2000 in Kansas City, Missouri. Luther is a Louisiana native, but he moved to the Kansas City area in 1966. Luther was getting ready to move back to his home because he had to help his mother take care of his ailing father. Luther spent one of his last nights in Kansas City with friends at a local bar that was aptly called Buddies. Luther's friends say that when he left the bar, he was happy. He was in a great mood. He had a couple of drinks, but he wasn't drunk at all. He told friends he had to stop at an ATM on the way home so he could get money out to pay the movers the following day. But Luther never made it back to his home. And sadly, Luther's dad passed away three days after Luther went missing. Luther's car was found abandoned in Penn Cali Park, which is supposed to be a pretty well-known gay hookup spot for that area. 
$360 was found under the floor mat on the driver's side of his car. Luther's a white man who stands 5'9 and weighs 230 pounds. At the time of his disappearance, Luther had graying brownish hair, blue eyes, and a mustache. Luther wears eyeglasses, and two of his upper teeth angle towards each other. Should anyone have any information regarding Luther's disappearance, please call the Kansas City Police Department at 1-816-234-5136. You could hear the ticks on the wall clock as each second went by. The day was Monday, November 4th. 2019 on the calendar. It was a solemn day for some in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The man strapped to the gurney was flanked by the execution team. One member of the team positioned several heart monitors onto the man's skin. Another member of the team sticks needles into a usable vein on the man's arm. One needle should do the trick, but the other needle is there as a backup plan. The needles are connected to long tubes. The tubes go through a dedicated hole in a concrete block wall. On the other side of the concrete block wall is a room. In that room, there are several intravenous drips. At the warden's command, a curtain is drawn in the room that the man lays in. The curtain was concealing a large glass window, to which the other side sits a select few that are there to see this man die. The beginning drip, it's simply saline. It's the liquid that is first sent through this man's body via the needle. Next is an anesthetic. It relaxes the man and puts him to sleep. The next liquid to be injected into the man is pancuronium bromide. This will paralyze the man's entire muscle system, and it'll stop his breathing. The very last liquid delivered into the man's arm is potassium chloride. This will stop the man's heart. Within five minutes, the man is dead. No applause can be heard, no cheering, just a sigh of relief and tears from the family of the man's victim. The man whose life was so meticulously removed from the world was 63-year-old Charles Rhines. Charles was a balding, non-memorable-looking white man in South Dakota. That probably doesn't sound like anything out of the ordinary. It's not. But Charles killed a young man during a robbery, and now Charles was paying for his crime with his life. Still nothing too abnormal there, right? Although the death sentence seems a little harsh for killing someone during a robbery. After all, James Knight, the man who killed Zakaria Fry and Zakaria's much older roommate in New Mexico, he only received 30 years in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years served. And that was a sentence for killing two people. Victoria Mendoza, who murdered her girlfriend Tawny Baird in Utah, she received 16 to life, and that could mean anything. So a death sentence for killing someone during a robbery seems a bit excessive with the track record of other murderers in other states. Oh, but wait, I forgot. The victims in the aforementioned cases were all LGBTQ members. Zakaria was a trans woman. Her roommate was an older queer man with a penchant for dressing in drag. Tawny was a lesbian. 
The victim in this episode's case was heterosexual. He was a young man of 22 who should have never had his life taken from him. He was a son, a brother, a fiancé, and a friend. His killer, however, was a gay man. Yes, Charles Rines was gay. The message being sent here is someone who is LGBTQ that's murdered isn't nearly as important as a heterosexual person. But a suspect who is convicted as a murderer that is LGBTQ, well, by all means, they should be executed for the same type of crime. That's kind of a shitty message, don't you think? It's not unexpected for the state of South Dakota, I suppose. Just last year, this same state was fighting to put a bill into action that would virtually erase LGBTQ people from public life entirely. The bill, HB 1215, would have banned marriage equality and would have permanently legalized gay conversion therapy. Thankfully, this bill was withdrawn by its sponsor, and it died. Okay, so let's talk about the crime. Charles Ryans was not a good guy by any means. Charles was the youngest of four kids. He was diagnosed ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. But his parents didn't care to do anything to help him with it. And because of this, Charles never completed school. Instead, he dropped out and joined the military, where they deployed him to South Korea. When he got back from South Korea, Charles left the military as soon as he could. He became a small-time thief in Washington State. Eventually, he was caught stealing and sent to prison for a while. This kind of became Charles' job, actually. He'd rob, get caught, get put in prison, get released, rob, caught, prison, released. It happened quite a few times until Charles finally moved out of Washington State to South Dakota. In South Dakota, it seemed like Charles was trying to live a better life, not be a thief. He worked in various restaurants, salvage yards, and factories before he landed a sweet gig at a donut shop in Rapid City. I'm just joking about the donut shop being a sweet gig. I actually think Charles was fired from all his other jobs before he was employed by the donut shop. Charles just couldn't hold on to steady employment. Three weeks prior to March 8, 1992, a 35-year-old Charles was fired from Diggum Donuts. And then on March 8, 1992, that's when he decided to break into Diggum Donuts and resume his life of crime. Charles's intention was to burglarize the place and to take off with whatever money he could. During the course of his crime, he didn't anticipate a current employee, 22-year-old Donovan Schaefer, would be returning to the shop to deliver some supplies. When Donovan entered the shop, he caught Charles there robbing it. Charles and Donovan had worked together before Charles got canned. Off guard, Charles composed himself long enough to realize, Oh shit, he knows me. I better do something quick. He used a hunting knife he had with him to stab Donovan in the abdomen and in the back. Donovan doubled over, falling to the ground and writhing in agony. But Charles didn't care. He forced Donovan up and he pushed him towards the shop's dingy little storeroom. Once in the storeroom, Charles shoved Donovan down on a pallet. 
he bound Donovan's hands behind him. Donovan begged Charles not to kill him. He begged Charles to drop him at the hospital, and he promised he'd say nothing about the crime. In response, Charles stepped forward, legs apart, then tightly together he held Donovan's head between his own knees, and then he pounded the hunting knife into the base of Donovan's skull, partially severing Donovan's brainstem. Charles left the storeroom, Donovan's body, and the donut shop with $1,700 in his possession. He then went to a nearby little coffee shop and ordered himself up some french fries. When he was done with his fries, Charles called his roommate Sam to come pick him up. Charles and Sam met through their work at Diggum Donuts. Charles asked Sam if he'd give him a ride home one night after work, and 17-year-old Sam agreed. But Sam was shocked that he was dropping Charles off at a motel. He had never heard of anyone living in a motel before. He asked Charles how much he paid to rent a room at the motel. Charles told him, and Sam said, I'd rent you my extra room for that. And that's how Charles and Sam became roommates. One evening, Sam and a friend of his were stopping by Sam's place to pick up something. When they opened the door, they were shocked to find a masturbating Charles on the couch watching gay porn. Charles's reaction to this intrusion was, Surprise! Now you know I'm gay! Sam had lived a very sheltered life, and this sight, well, it unsettled him. He had never known anyone gay before. The next day at work, Sam and his boss at the donut shop started to talk about it. Sam didn't mean to out Charles. He was just venting about what a crazy thing it was, coming from his background and walking into that. Soon after, the donut shop boss fired Charles, and some of the other workers started to razz Sam about living with a fag. Sam wasn't happy about this, but I believe he felt somewhat guilty for Charles losing his job at the donut shop, so he let Charles keep living with him, and he drove him places. Sam was even the one who dropped Charles off at the donut shop that evening. He knew Charles was going to rob it. Sam was also the one picking Charles up from the coffee shop when Charles called him on a payphone to ask for a ride. When Charles got into Sam's car, he told Sam that he had killed someone when he robbed the donut shop. Charles then showed Sam his hunting knife that still had Donovan's blood on it. Charles held the knife up to Sam's neck and told him that he'd kill again if Sam didn't keep his mouth shut about it. Charles also threatened to kill Sam's family. Charles made Sam drive him around the city to some more remote areas. That way, he could get rid of the murder weapon and dispose of the clothes he was wearing. A few hours later, Sam was one of the two employees who arrived at the donut shop for their shift. Sam is the one who discovered Donovan. Police came to investigate the scene and interview the employees. Sam was ready to spill the beans, but he vomited instead. He called Charles to bring him some fresh clothes. When Charles arrived with Sam's clothes, Sam decided it was in his best interest to keep quiet. Charles was there at Donovan's funeral a week after killing him. He consoled the attendees and he signed the guest book before he left. That either was a really ballsy move 
or it proves what a shit stain of a human Charles really was. Within days after Donovan's funeral, Charles moved back to Washington State. He went to Seattle because he had a friend he met in prison who was being released, and he went there to be with him. Rapid City, South Dakota was reeling with fear after Donovan's murder. Things like this just didn't happen here. The residents were terrified to even go out into their own garage for fear that the killer would be hiding there. Over the next few months, Sam kept running into friends of Charles. He couldn't shake the feeling that Charles was trying to keep an eye on him. Sam's brother was even getting threatening phone calls. So Sam was still living in fear. But in May, Sam met a girl, a 16-year-old runaway named Heather. He was really smitten with her, and he gave her a place to live. Charles called Sam up shortly after this and told him he needed Sam to come see him in Seattle. Sam didn't want to go, but Charles threatened him. Finally, Sam said, I'm not coming without my girlfriend, Heather. Charles said, Fine, bring the girl. Heather was excited. She'd never been out of South Dakota before. The couple took a bus to Seattle. When Sam and Heather arrived, they were greeted by Charles and his prison buddy, Matt Miguel. Heather could immediately sense something wasn't right about these two guys. The four went out to dinner and then back to Charles and Matt's place, a motel room, and they all started to drink. When Sam excused himself to the bathroom, Charles and Matt told Heather that Sam was Charles's lover. Charles also told Heather how he had killed Donovan in the gory details. Heather now knew that this man was the one that was responsible for the grisly murder back in her hometown. The following day, Charles and Matt took Sam and Heather around with them, while Charles and Matt stole copper wire, stripped it, and sold it for salvage. They ended up in the woods, where Sam whispered to Heather that Charles and Matt wanted to kill her because she knew too much. Sam assured her he wouldn't let that happen, and they'd have to kill him first. I'm pretty sure that didn't give Heather much comfort. Later that evening, Sam and Charles were outside the motel room having a heated argument. A Seattle police patrol happened to witness the argument, and they went to speak to the men. They pulled Sam away, and they asked him his age. Sam told them that he and his girlfriend were runaways, and then he begged the officers to get his girlfriend away from Charles before Charles killed her. When he was asked if anyone else was in the room, Charles told the police no one else was there. Yet the police found Heather hiding in the shower where Charles told her to hide. Once away from Charles and Matt, Sam and Heather told the police everything, including of Donovan's murder back in Rapid City, South Dakota. Charles was arrested. I'm not sure what happened to his buddy Matt. In June, Charles confessed to the Seattle police about Donovan's murder in South Dakota. Charles was extradited and he was put on trial. He was being charged with first-degree murder and burglary. Jury selection took nine days and the trial, well, it only took three days. And get this, the jurors' major concern was that prison was exactly where Charles wanted to be. Since he was gay, he'd have access to unlimited men. Prison would be a virtual playground for Charles to commit more homosexual sins. Did the jury not realize that Charles had been in prison before? And that's not really how gay works. 
One juror even announced that there was a ton of disgust by the jurors about Charles' sexual preference. This really had zero to do with the case. And if I had been on Charles' defense team, I would have motioned for a mistrial immediately. Instead, the jury pushed the judge to rule for the death penalty, and the death penalty is what Charles got. Charles admitted to doing the crime. As stated before, he wasn't a good guy. In fact, I'd even venture to say Charles was a total dickwad. But to have his sexuality as a source of why he should receive the death penalty? That's not justice either. Life without parole, yes. Trust me, I'm not anti-corporal punishment. In fact, in certain cases, I'm all for it. Some say that Charles was given life because of his lack of remorse for killing Donovan. That might have added to it. But based on juror admission, his sexuality is why the death penalty was imposed. Charles tried to appeal the death penalty several times, and he was denied every single time. On November 4, 2019, Charles Rines told Donovan Schaefer's parents he forgave them for hating him, which right there is a very prick thing to say to the parents of your murder victim. Charles should have been apologizing for what he did to their son, not forgiving them for how they felt about him. Charles, at the age of 63, was lethally injected by the state of South Dakota, not just because he murdered someone during a botched robbery, but because he was a gay man who murdered a heterosexual former co-worker that happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Love you, Rainbow Warriors. Remember, it's not a crime to be gay unless you're a murderer. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 